Chapter Twenty Seven of the Star Chamber, an Historical Romance, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Star Chamber, an Historical Romance, Volume Two, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Chapter Seventeen showing how judgment was given by king james in the star chamber in the great cause of the countess of exeter against sir thomas and lady lake five days had king james and the whole of the privy council been sitting within the star chamber and the great cause that had occupied them during the whole of that time was drawing to an end little remaining for his majesty to do in it except to pronounce sentence the cause to which james and his counsellors had lent a hearing so long and patient was no other than that of the countess of exeter against sir thomas lake and his lady throughout it whether prompted or not as to the course he pursued the monarch displayed great sagacity and penetration prior to the trial and when the preliminary statements had alone been laid before him he determined personally to investigate the matter and without acquainting any one with his design while out hunting he rode over to the earl of exeter's residence at wimbledon the place it will be recollected where the forged confession was alleged to have been signed by the countess and proceeded to examine the particular chamber indicated by lady lake and sarah swarton as the scene of the transaction he was accompanied by buckingham and some other lords high in his favour on examination it was found that the chamber was of such size and the lower part of it where sarah was reported to have been concealed was so distant from the large bay window that any conversation held there must have been inaudible to her as was proved upon experiment by the king and his attendants but the crowning circumstance was the discovery made by james himself for his courtiers were too discreet to claim any share in it that the hangings did not reach within two feet of the floor and consequently could not have screened a secret witness from view while it was further ascertained that the arras had been entirely undisturbed for several years on making this discovery james rubbed his hands with great glee and exclaimed aha my lady lake and her handmaiden may forswear themselves if they choose but they will not convince me oaths cannot confound my sight this asseveration he repeated during the trial at which he proffered his own testimony in favour of the plaintiff and indeed it was evident from the first however much he might seek to disguise it that he was strongly biased toward the countess not content however with the discovery he had made at wimbledon james had secretly dispatched a sergeant-at-arms 
to rome where lord roos had taken up his residence after leaving england and obtained from him and from his confidential servant diego a statement incriminating lady lake and denouncing the confession as a wicked forgery luke hatton moreover who had gone over as already intimated to the side of the countess and who took care to hide his own complicity in the dark affair and to give a very different colour to his conduct from what really belonged to it luke hatton we say became a most important witness against the lakes and it was said to be owing to his crafty insinuations that the king conceived the idea of visiting wimbledon as before mentioned notwithstanding all this there were many irreconcilable contradictions and the notoriously bad character of lord roos his cruel treatment of his wife and his passionate devotion to the countess led many to suspect that after all he and lady exeter were the guilty parties they were represented moreover by such as had any knowledge of the man luke hatton was not esteemed a credible witness and it was generally thought that his testimony ought not to be received by the king or accepted only with the greatest caution but the opinions favourable to lady lake and her husband underwent an entire change in the early part of the trial when to the surprise of all and to the inexpressible dismay of her parents lady roos who had been included in the process by the countess made a confession wherein she admitted that the document produced by her mother against lady exeter was fabricated and that all the circumstances said to be connected with it at the time of its supposed signature were groundless and imaginary the unfortunate lady's motive for making this revelation was the desire of screening her husband and so infatuated was she by her love of him that she allowed herself to be persuaded by the artful suggestions it was whispered of luke hatton that this would be the means of accomplishing their reconciliation and that she would be rewarded for her devotion by his returning regard if such was her belief she was doomed to disappointment she never beheld him again lord roos died abroad soon after the trial took place nor did his ill-fated lady long survive him thus it will be seen all circumstances were adverse to the lakes but in spite of the difficulties surrounding her and the weight of evidence true or false brought against her no concession could be obtained from lady lake and she stoutly protested her innocence and retaliated in most forcible terms upon her accusers she gave a flat contradiction to her daughter and poured terrible maledictions on her head ceasing them not until silenced by command of the king the fearful charges brought by her ladyship against luke hatton produced some effect and were listened to but as they could only be substantiated by herself and sarah swarton they fell to the ground 
since here again lady ruse refused to be a witness against her husband unwilling to admit his wife's criminality though urged by the king to do so in order to save himself sir thomas lake was unable to make a successful defence and he seemed so much bowed down by affliction and perplexity that sympathy was generally felt for him indeed his dignified deportment and reserve gave him some claim to consideration in this way was the trial brought to a close after three days duration now let a glance be cast round the room wherein the lords of the council were deliberating upon their judgment it was the star chamber situated on the southeastern side of westminster hall near the river this famous room wherein the secret councils of the kingdom were then held and had been held during many previous reigns was more remarkable for the beauty of its ceiling than for size or splendour that ceiling was of oak richly carved and gilt and disposed in squares in the midst of which were roses portcullises pomegranates and fleur-de-lis over the door leading to the chamber was placed a star in allusion to its name with the date sixteen o two its walls were covered with ancient tapestry and it had many windows looking towards the river and filled with painted glass though it would appear to be obvious enough much doubt has been entertained as to the derivation of the name of this celebrated court some think it so called writes the author of a learned treatise on its jurisdiction before cited of crimen stellionatus because it handleth such things and cases as are strange and unusual some of stalin i confess i am in that point a platonist in opinion that nomina natura fiant potius quam faga impostitone and so i doubt not but camera stellata for so i find it called in our ancient year-books is most aptly named not because the star-chamber where the court is kept is so adorned with stars gilded as some would have it for surely the chamber is so adorned because it is the seal of that court et denominatio being a prestantiori magis dignum trahit ad se minus and it was so fitly called because the stars have no light but what is cast upon them from the sun by reflection being his representative body and as his majesty was pleased to say when he sat there in his royal person representation must needs cease when the person is present so in the presence of his great majesty the which is the sun of honour and glory the shining of those stars is put out they not having any power to pronounce any sentence in this court for the judgment is the king's only but by way of advice they deliver their opinions which his wisdom alloweth or disalloweth increaseth or moderateth at his royal pleasure this explanation which seems rather given for the purpose of paying a fulsome compliment to james in whose reign the treatise in question was written is scarcely satisfactory 
and we have little doubt that the name originated in the circumstance of the roof of the chamber being embellished with gilded stars we are told in strips stow that the star chamber was so called either by derivation from the old english word steeran which signifieth to steer or rule as doth the pilot of a ship because the king and council did sit here as it were at the stern and did govern in the ship of the commonwealth some derive in from stellio which signifies that starry and subtle beast so called from which cometh the word stellionatus that signifieth cosinage because that crime was chiefly punishable in this court by an extraordinary power as it was in the civil law or because the roof of this court was garnished with gilded stars as the room itself was starry or full of windows and lights in which respect some of the latin records name it camera stellata the french chamber des etoiles and the english the starred chamber the derivation of the name we repeat seems to us sufficiently simple and obvious but as it has been matter of controversy we have thought it worth while to advert to the circumstance to proceed in a chair of state elevated above the table round which the lords of the council were gathered and having a canopy over it sat the king calmly watching them as they pursued their deliberations his own mind being completely made up as to the sentence he should pronounce and ever and anon stealing a glance at lady lake and her husband who were seated behind a bar that crossed the room below the council table the defendants or prisoners for such in effect they were were under the guard of a pursuivant and a sergeant-at-arms a little behind them was sarah swarton but though faint and frightened and scarcely able to sustain herself she was not allowed a seat on a raised bench at the side sat the beautiful countess of exeter radiant with smiles and triumph she was receiving the congratulations of several dames of high rank by whom she was accompanied amongst the judges of the court were the lord chancellor who sat immediately under the king with his mace and seal before him the lord treasurer and the keeper of the privy seal the president of the council the judges the archbishop of canterbury and eight bishops and other prelates and all the dukes marquises earls and barons composing the privy council to the number of forty besides these there were present prince charles three of the leger ambassadors and many other distinguished persons though all had gone against her lady lake's spirit was still undiminished and she eyed the council imperiously but her husband's regards were fixed upon the ground and his head rested upon his breast after some further time had been needlessly consumed by the council in stating their opinions to the king he prepared to deliver judgment on this the defendants arose and profound silence reigned throughout the court as james addressed them the sentence was to this effect 
a fine of upwards of twenty two thousand pounds was imposed upon sir thomas with a further censure of imprisonment in the tower during the king's pleasure lady lake was to be imprisoned with him a public recognition of their offence for reparation of the countess's injured honour was to be made by them in the most ample manner his majesty could devise sarah swarton was adjudged to the fleet thence ran the sentence to be whipped at the cart's tail to westminster and afterwards from the same place to cheapside at cheapside to be branded with f a signifying false accusation one letter on either cheek to do public penance in st martin's church to be detained in the fleet till they do weary of her and then to be sent to bridewell there to spend and end her days when the poor handmaiden heard this severe sentence she uttered a cry of despair and fell down on the floor in a swoon thereupon the delinquents were removed and as lady lake withdrew a look passed between her and the countess which in spite of the assurance of the latter made her turn pale and tremble in a very remarkable letter subsequently addressed by lady lake to her successful opponent in this great case she said i wish my submission could make you an innocent woman and wash you as white as a swan but it must be your own submission unto god and many prayers and tears and afflictions which seeing you have not outwardly examine your heart and think on times past and remember what i have written to you heretofore the same i do now again for i yet nothing doubt but that although the lord ruse was sent away and is dead yet truth lives the truth however was never fully brought to light and that justice which the vindictive lady expected was denied her end of chapter twenty seven